Hello, everyone. Welcome to uh, our Reality San Francisco podcast. Uh, my name is Dave Lomas. I'm one of the pastors here at Reality. I am here with uh, Lindsay Barrios, who is so close to giving birth. <laughs> Hello. Hopefully it does not happen <laughs> Hopefully right it doesn't now. happen here. Uh, Lindsay is Justice and Outreach Minister, and we're here with Eugene Cho, who is uh, founder of a church in Seattle and also president of Bread for the World and founder of um, One Day's Wages. It's great to be here. Yeah. Uh, two things I want to just add Congratulations soon as you give birth, Lindsay. If you do, if that happens during the podcast, let's just name it. It will change the trajectory of the podcast. It'll a bit. And happy belated birthday to you. Thank you. Uh, just yesterday. Yesterday. So, some congratulations. Thank you. I feel older. Every, you know, everyone asks, how do you feel now that you're one year older? I literally feel a year older. So there you go. It happened last night. It just happened. Um, okay, so we're going to have a conversation about um, becoming uh, a justice-oriented church. We have, for uh, a while in our, in our journey as a church, um, gone after becoming a justice-oriented church, but it, it seems that we have a location, a space to do that out of now. We just bought a building um, this last year, and we are now rooted on 24th and Valencia in the Mission District in San Francisco. And this comes with all kinds of great things and a lot of opportunities and challenges, however you want to frame it. And one of them is, how do you become a church that is rooted in a place that people can point at and say, that's the church right there, I can see it. Um, and out of that church, people don't just go there on a Sunday, but out of this church comes flows justice, flows righteousness, flows, as we say in our, um, in our vision statement, a, a community following Jesus, seeking renewal in our city. Flowing out from from this building is uh, a, a seeking of renewal that happens in San Francisco. So we just want to have a conversation in and around that. Um, I have Lindsay here because I want her to kind of lead most of this because this is this is your space, and uh, I'm just kind of hosting these two folks in a conversation. So um, so Lindsay, I'll hand it to you. Do you want to kick us off? Ask a question? Um, yeah, how do you want to do this? Sure. Thanks, Dave. Um, yeah, I think what one thing that we talked about. Um, during this, the sermon today was about the whole gospel being about both evangelism and justice, and that it's not one or the other. And I think one question um, that a lot of people have is, as Christians specifically, do we define justice differently than than others? Um, and if so, or either way, what does that what does that mean for us as as Jesus followers mm. um, who are also seeking justice and renewal yeah. in the city? It's a great question that probably in itself could take the entire podcast, but a couple things that I would say, I would encourage churches to approach it as we're not a justice-centered church, but we're a whole gospel church. Mm -hmm. Because I do think there is so much confusion right now. There's debates happening about justice and social justice. We're often using nomenclature used in larger culture and then using it to define churches. And everything that we do should be a response to the gospel. Because of who Jesus is, this is who we are seeking to embody. So when people ask me personally, Eugene, why is justice so important to you? My simple response is because the gospel is so important to me. That's right. So that I'm not losing that rootedness. Mm -hmm. But to the question about how do we define it, um, it's a great question because there's so much different conversations going on. 
nowadays, I typically like to use the word biblical justice because I don't want to debate about people's definitions of social justice and all the other words that are out there. Because the truth is Christians don't monopolize or own justice. Uh, it's a larger shared space, but what makes it unique for us is that we believe in a just God. So justice isn't the end goal. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not the end goal, but we do believe there's the word used in Hebrew is mishpat. And we know it's important because it's used over 200 times just in the Old Testament alone. There's a great book by an author and a friend by the name of Ken Weitzma. And he writes a book that literally helps define and frame that topic, justice. So I think for us as Christians, knowing the why behind this and acknowledging that there is some shared Venn diagram space in which we interact with larger culture, but at the same time, there are times in which it diverges. And we can just acknowledge it, but still understand why we do what we do. Uh, but I believe the most simple definition of justice is uh, to basically help restore that which is broken back onto God's design for human flourishing in this world. Now, it's a broad definition, <laughs> yeah. but then if you're talking about all the different topics that go on, there's lots of nuances and specifics. So, but my definition, again, there's two things. One is to be mindful of God's design, to be mindful of human flourishing. So it's like loving God and loving neighbor. It's about the great commission, the great commandment. It all comes together. Um, I think it's a beautiful thing that we live in a world today where more and more churches are embracing this call to justice work. So my caution is let's affirm it. Let's make sure that we understand our why, that it doesn't grow to become idolatrous, as I mentioned in today's sermon, and that we are doing it in a way that hopefully, yes, it honors and dignifies human beings, but I also pray that fascinates people back onto an imagination of who God is and God's uh, imagination of what human flourishing looks like. Yeah, I, I like that. I, I think what I would, would love to interact with and play with is um, that intentionality of the design, like basically taking um, what the world is and reorganizing it around God's intention for the world. Um, how would, I, how would you get in that, into the imagination of people? Because justice can be, for a lot of people who are justice-oriented or justice warriors or whatever, you, how they self-identify, could be like, it's all, everything's justice. How do we fight the next justice cause? And the people that are not like that feel like, I don't even know where the handles are. How do I grab onto this thing? But, and you, and th you gave some really good handles there. It's like, how do you reimagine the space? Whatever it is, it could be your, your neighborhood, your, your apartment, comp, whatever. Uh, in the way that God intend, intended it to be. How do you do that? Yeah, so you know, for me, my framework is uh, obviously scripture matters. I think scripture gives us some concrete uh, framework of who God is, God's design, teaching about God's character. Isaiah 61.8, I the Lord love justice. And I mention that because I think there are people it's not so much that they're overwhelmed by the conversations. I think there are still a significant amount of Christians and churches that don't believe 
that justice matters. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So justice is not a political issue. It's not a liberal issue. We've mm-hmm. got to first teach theologically why justice matters. Justice matters because it reflects the heart and character of God. You look at the Old Testament prophets, they would tell you, the scripture tells us that pursuing justice is actually in itself an act of worship. So this is why I'm trying to frame it as a gospel issue. It's a worship issue. The second thing is the person of Jesus. So we've got scripture and then we've got the person of Jesus. And I love the fact that Jesus, while he doesn't utter the words justice, he embodies it through mercy, through compassion, kindness, empathy, uh, dignity. He, 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 he embodies it in the ways he goes about much of his public ministry and teaching. And then the third thing is what scripture teaches about humanity. I think one of the core essence of everything that we should do is that the theology of the Imago Dei, that Mm -hmm. every single person bears the image of God. And so when we see suffering, oppression, marginalization, even as we acknowledge that it's incredibly messy, because it's bound to be messy, right? You may have heard me say this, but the best thing about church is what? People. The most difficult thing about Mm -hmm. church is people. It's the same people. It's an mm-hmm. FYI, Dave is nodding his head ferociously right now. <laughs> so, but, so when I talk about justice, it is incredibly messy because it involves humans. Yeah. But we can't ever forget that whether it's someone on Mission Street, whether it's someone in Bangladesh as part of the Rohingya community or the Afghan community or the other political party that we're opposed to, I don't ever want to forget that every single person bears the image of God. Those are, I think, the the helpful framework for me, giving me, again, some sort of a little more concreteness in the imagination of uh, why we do what we do. Mm. I want to jump in on that, too, when you're talking about kind of why that this is this is central, this is important to what we believe as Christians and how we live as Christians. Um, can you just share a little bit more about how, why can't we just be a, a group of people that come into this building, worship God on Sunday, have amazing experiences, and walk out and do the rest of our life? Like, what what is so important about discipleship to Jesus looking like justice? Yeah. What is t- tell me more about yeah. that? I mean, the way you framed it, it sounds really good. It sounds really tempting just to come and go. But I think we know at the core essence that something would be missing. And I think, Lindsay, you actually answered the question. You mentioned discipleship. It's about discipleship. And I would suspect that for Dave and the elders and people that are part of this church, we know that what it means to be a disciple is not just to come to a 90-minute service. As good as it might be, as substantive as the teaching and the music might be, 90-minute service is really more about It's part of our discipleship. But the danger, particularly in the Western world, that is really rooted on consumerism and individualism is that if we're not careful, it becomes the totality of our discipleship. So what do we do then? Let's make it the best spanking 90-minute service possible. How do we entertain people? Yeah, that's right. And so it's got to be more. So we do it because it reflects God's character. It's part of our discipleship. And when we pursue justice, as messy as it might be, the beautiful thing is I become more and more inclined towards God's design even for me. 
Yeah. So it's not about just, well, of course, it's about, quote unquote, I'm doing air quotes here, changing the world, impacting, being an influence, light and salt. So yes, it involves helping other people, but it's also about us. Like we yeah. desperately need to be changed. And, you know, this is a broad stroke. It's a generalization about the Western culture, but we are so comfortable. We struggle with this facade of comfort. And sometimes we... We love a gospel that comforts us, but mm -hmm. we resist a gospel that disrupts us. And the gospel does both because we need both. Yeah. So I think justice work involves helping others, but also in that process, we become more and more in tune to the heart and character of God. Mm -hmm. That's so good. Yeah, I think as, I, as, you're, as you're speaking, I think for me what's coming up is um, is that like, you know, that, 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 that sense that we can't just go to church and when we do, we might like, like the teaching or whatever, but we, it'd be hard to live with ourselves knowing how broken our world is if we're not partnering with God to, to, to bring repair there, to bring renewal there, to bring whatever. And I think, yeah, for me, as I, as I've pastored in the city, I've seen, um, people take a take a leap of faith and start um, getting involved in justice work. Mm. And I've seen people, and I'd love for you to speak to this too, because I think it's uh, get really mad at the church when you start to move into justice space. Mm. Like, don't mm. mess with our don't mess with our lives too much. Mm -hmm. um, don't mess with our politics too much. Yeah. Uh oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, yes. Yeah, so, so a couple things come to mind, and I'll, I'll get to the the latter part of the question, but. You know, I, I really don't want people to walk away from this podcast thinking that we're, we're, we're kind of bashing services and sermons. Like, I love church. And the past year and a half has reminded how much I love the joy of gathering together and singing together and opening scripture together and reciting creeds and liturgy together. It's so good and so beautiful. But I'm reminded of what Amos talks about. Um, in the book of Amos, here's prophet Amos, was not a prophet, was a farmer and a shepherd. So he begins to see, God begins to disrupt his life. The guy can't sleep because he's having these crazy dreams. And as he begins to travel around both the southern and northern part of Israel, he begins to see suffering, injustice, people that are hungry and poor. And what angers him most is that you have religious leaders using false, dangerous, erroneous theology to explain why these people are poor. Hmm. And sometimes we hear some of these narratives, right? Like poor people, they're all lazy. Mm -hmm. It's like this dehumanizing language. Mm -hmm. uh, we don't go around having these sweeping generalizations about bankers that created the 2008 financial crisis but we have all of these sweeping stereotypes about those who are quote unquote poor. And so God begins to speak through Amos and there's a line in Amos chapter five, I believe, where in Eugene Peterson's version of the message, it says, I hate your religious festivals and feasts. I detest your music. So in other words, it's not God saying he hates these things, but if this is the only thing yeah. If it's just a 90-minute service, then I think if we're just being really bluntly honest, then it's like a show. Yeah. 
And then it comes back to, let's put on the best show possible. And so that's been kind of my pastoral and prophetic, my attempt to be both pastoral and prophetic. And maybe this is a good framework too. And I'm not a huge fan of alliteration, but it just happens to be that for this one, they're all starting with the letter P. And, 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 and there is a book that I'm trying to work on in the future. But when people say, well, give me practical instructions. So the five P's, pastoral, prophetic, personal, practical, and prayerful. There's a sixth one for bonus points, and it's persistence. But just to talk about pastoral and prophetic, I think sometimes we as church leaders, whether it's the ministry leaders or church leaders or elders, we're always about, let's just be pastoral. Let's not rock the boat. Let's not rock the boat. And so we're just, and the, the comment I often get is, just focus on Jesus. Just focus on Jesus. Yeah. Now, that sounds good, and it's beautiful. I would say amen to that. But if we're simply elevating the pastoral and we're all together, just avoiding the prophetic call that God also invites us to, then we're actually not being a faithful church. Now, on the other hand, you could have leaders who are all about being prophetic. They're out and about, they're screaming and shouting, they're marching, all good things, but they've lost love in the process. Yeah. They've lost the commitment to be pastoral. So the church, we need both. And that's been... Um, no, my uh, encouragement, my exhortation is let's be both, do both by God's grace. Mm. I want to go back. Dave mentioned the another P, which was uh, politics. Mm. <laughs> and, um, I, I'm having some uh, Wi-Fi issues at this time. <laughs> um, I, I don't see you on Zoom. I'm sorry. Oh, we're on a podcast. <laughs> we're IRL. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you don't get to get out of it that That's easily. Right. So I guess one of the questions I think that many people have is how, what does it look like to be civically or politically involved as faithful followers of Jesus, um, where, where it isn't, you know, when you talk about that Imago Dei, like we're not demonizing the other side. Mm. And at the same time, I think a lot of times we can just have a hands-off approach entirely and say, oh, if it's anything that gets anywhere near politics, we just ignore it. It's like Thanksgiving with the wrong family members, you know, you're like, we're just not going to go there. So how do we talk about being about justice as a community, as faithful followers of Jesus in, in a kind of, in a civic or political way sure. that's not religious nationalism? Sure. Sure. It's a great question. And that in itself could be a long podcast, like that conversation. And Lindsay, I don't think you were here a couple of years ago. Maybe you were, I'm not quite sure. But the last time I hung out with Dave, we did a, a, a I think it was a Monday night or a Tuesday night lecture, and it was specifically about faith and politics. At that time, my book had yet to be published. It's now out, it's a shameless plug, but <laughs> the whole book is really about that question. Uh, so for folks that are interested, it's called Thou Shalt Not Be a Jerk, a Christian's Guide to Engaging Politics. But let me answer that question. When people say Christians shouldn't be or engage politics, what they're actually saying, I think, is we're weary and afraid of partisan politics. Partisan politics that sold its allegiance to political leaders or political parties. I absolutely agree that the church should never be about partisan politics where again, we've sold our soul to cultural Christianity or partisan politics. 
But if you were to look at the word politics at its most basic fundamental definition, it's the art of governance. Every healthy society needs healthy politics, which in some ways explains why I think right now in our country, it, we're not healthy because we don't have healthy politics and our politicians are not leading in, I think, good and just and moral and compassionate ways, even if they disagree on issues. So I am concerned about the state of our nation, but politics matter, and this is the connection to justice. Politics matter because it informs policies that impacts people. Mm -hmm. And the last time, and every time we open up the scriptures, God cares about people. Last year, the single, the, the company that spent singularly the most money on lobbying, right? So you're basically using money to go to the halls of power to basically speak on your interests, right? And I think in a democracy, I get it. The single largest company, you may have heard about it, starts with an A, it's called Amazon. <laughs> they spent the single most amount of money. They and Facebook were one and one B. Mm -hmm. So Facebook, as you know, they were in lots of trouble, spent millions of dollars. The number one industry is pharmaceuticals by threefold. So my question is, in a system of politics and democracy, who is advocating? Who is speaking on behalf? Who is amplifying the realities of single mothers? Mm -hmm. those who are struggling with hunger and poverty. During the pandemic, 40% of African-American and Hispanic families were having a hard time literally putting food on their table, 40%. Who's advocating for those who don't have the budget to have representation? So I think this is where, in the spirit of the William Wilberforces, who advocated for an, ab for an end to slavery. Was it messy? Of course. Were there death threats to him? Of course. Was it incredibly treacherous and difficult? All of those things. But it's especially difficult when there's only one voice. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine a whole church of hundreds of thousands who understand theologically why it matters and we do it together? Imagine if church is all around, not in a way that dehumanize other, we're not using violence, we're not using um, methods that are, I think, contrary to, to what we believe, Jesus saying, blessed are the peacemakers, but we're speaking up on behalf, we're doing what we can to amplify these challenges. And from, again, back to your question about politics, seeing if we can make changes from a legislative policy perspective that would impact uh, not just the individual, not just tens or hundreds, not just thousands, but even at times millions of people. How would you, because I think that's so, um, so well said, um, and I agree with you, how would you um, see that? So what I hear you saying is that we have to care about politics, not partisan politics, but the politics of people that like, where policy is made and people are impacted, we should care about that. And in the same way that Facebook and Amazon lobby for this or that, we need to, as a church, this is what I'm, I think you're saying, care about the things that impact the, the, the least of these 
and advocate for them. Now, when we get into that, I, and I think this is why people are like, can you just preach Jesus and nothing else? Because, it, again, messy. Let's just say we did. Let's just say our church reality um, had had uh, everyone in church call Congress up for a, a, some sort of bill that was about something we all can agree with, um, feeding hungry people. And, you know, it's not that political. Hey, feeding hungry people. This, okay. <laughs> and let's say we got our entire church to do it. And then all of a sudden, the, there's people in power that go, oh my gosh, re, the reality church, they get their people moving. How do we give that church what they need so that they can get their people to give us what we need? And that, is that, that's where it goes typically. That's what happened sure. here in San Francisco with Jim Jones and the People's Temple. It was started out as like, quote unquote, justice oriented and got really greasy and dirty yeah. and yeah. wrong. And, you know, everyone drank Kool-Aid and you know, mass suicide in, in Ghana. So it like, it go, could go down, a, a, and, and you are right in the seat of it working sure. in D.C. Sure. How do you see that happening where innocently you can be like, we want you to advocate, and then it gets into like, but this is power, and all of a sudden you get involved with power, and you get involved with power in a way where uh, you go down a slippery slope. Yeah. Man, the conversation just kind of escalated. I know, it just went there. <laughs> it went straight to mass yeah. suicide. Yeah, I was like, uh, that's, a different, that's a different podcast, man. No, it's a great question, and here's why I'm encouraged, because you're asking that question. Like, the fact that as leaders, we have to be self-aware and not be naive, because it can be very challenging if we're naive. And so, yes, I think there's a lot about education, about theology, and as leaders, you can't do everything. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so I think it begins there. Part of the justice work, the conundrum, is that there, there's, there's the temptation of the savior complex, where we want to do everything and such arrogance and hubris. So as you're moving into 24th and Valencia, in the mm -hmm. Mission District, uh, as others may have heard at church, I mean, this is... This was home for me for many, many years. I lived in Ocean Avenue. So the reality is you cannot do everything and you shouldn't do everything. So as a church, you have to prayerfully discern in the season of life, what are the couple things that we want collectively as a body be about? Hmm. What can we pursue? Now, obviously, there's something about relationships, and I'm sure we'll get there, like the, the primary proximity of relationships. And then there's things that individuals will do. So as a church leader, I would say you give theological encouragement and training and fellowship so that individually there are people, women and men at reality, that are doing things in their own in their own lives, in their work, and you want to encourage them, but you cannot adopt everything that everyone's doing in your church. Mm -hmm. Why? Because you'll do it horribly. <laughs> it's not sustainable. Mm -hmm. So I'm always telling people, you do what God's calling you to do, will cheer you on, will, will encourage you, will pray for you, and then there's gotta be a couple things as a church community the church that tries to do everything will do nothing well. Mm -hmm. If you focus on a few things in a particular season. So, you know, I, I shared a little bit about the work of Bread for the World. And I've got a team of 60 people and all we work on is the vision to help end hunger. And we need more, but that's how many people that are working every single day, 365 days around advocacy 
around helping end hunger. Let's let's talk about that focus piece a little bit more. Sure. I think um, there's kind of there is this mix of both how do individuals find their own focuses of, of justice work and in their own lives, but also, and I think this is this is a more even more central to the conversation we're having right now is how do like what does what does that look like as a church community? And I would love some examples, if you have them, of churches that have been about justice well mm. um, in their context. And it's not that we're going to replicate or be exactly what they are. Um, but what do you do? You have anything to share with us in terms of? I think we all could come up with ideas of churches that don't do it well, just mm. like you said. Mm. You know, try to do everything and don't do any of it well. But what? Yeah, what are some church communities um, that you've seen or been around? that are doing this well in their sure. particular context? Well, maybe without going into specific names, let me just share some of the things that I've seen that I think are just really beautiful, but hard. But you know that it's uh, it's really about the culture of the church. It's not a one-time Justice Weekend sermon, but it's something that they try to embody on a regular basis. So a couple of things is that, and some of it's just stories from the church where I, where I pastored. But one of them is I just love having what we call like social capital Sunday, social capital weekends where we gather people that are in doing tech work and we encourage them to meet with one another. And a lot of folks that are doing justice work, uh, Lindsay, you might know, but I mean, if you've been in the space, it is hard mm-hmm. um, to run a marathon. When you, hit, when you hit mile 13, it gets really hard. And so we've been able to gather people, not just from our own church, but from other churches, to just encourage one another and to meet with one another and to remind ourselves, we're not doing this alone. There are tens and hundreds of people who are working around issues of homelessness or around uh, adoption and foster care and about uh, anti-hunger spaces. That I think is really, really important. But the second thing that I would say is that oftentimes it has to be in the teaching. Uh, and it doesn't mean that it has to be a 52-week series, but when, <laughs> when churches invite me to come and speak, it's typically for like, hey, we're doing that Justice Sunday. <laughs> and I, I, I get it, but it's really about how do you seek to embody this on a regular basis? That be, why? Because we're a gospel-centered church. So if you frame it from that perspective, then we know that evangelism, the Great Commission and the Great Commandment should be regular parts of our teaching. The third thing that I would say is just the art of listening. Churches that do it well have not rushed the process of listening and building relationships with the community. Yeah. Right? I mean, that's so important. I, I hear horrible stories of churches here or sometimes even worse in international spaces, where even if we don't know it, we go through the savior complex, whether it's the white savior complex, the Asian savior complex, but we think we're gonna come in and we're gonna usher in justice somehow. Mm-hmm. And I think there is such an important commitment to listen, listen to the stories of a community, listen to the leaders in that community, engage relationships with the community, And then before we say, this is what we're going to do, we gotta be asking, what are you doing? What's going on here already? And how can we come alongside? So Quest Church, we had a really, and we do, they still have a very robust uh, outreach to uh, those who experience homelessness in Seattle. 
as it is in San Francisco, it's a huge issue, very complex and challenging. And before we launched this huge um, uh, ministry where we're, we built a, a space for people to come in, we hired uh, case managers and a drop-in center, all of these things, we spent a couple of years just listening and learning what others are doing, including leaders, some that were Christian and some that weren't, because that's an example of like, we, our motivations might be different, but many of our goals are similar. So mm -hmm. those are yeah. some, some, I think, healthy practices uh, of what churches are doing. That's good, I love the listening piece. Something that, Lindsay, you've advocated for hugely when we moved into our new space, like we have to listen for a long time to make sure that we're we're like weaving into the neighborhood, not just like, we, we got it now, everybody. Yeah. You, you know, hold our beer. Not that we drink beer, but just saying, <laughs> if we did. Um, None of us do. <laughs> I definitely don't right now, just so everyone knows. Just to be clear. Um, Eugene, as you, one of the questions that, that um, has come up for us, and I think it'd be really good to ask is, you know, if, if you were, let's just say you were in our shoes, stepping into this space, like, you know our story, You've had a very similar story in, in Seattle um, where we were a part of this community, this, this, this neighborhood for 11 years, but just recently bought a space in this neighborhood. Um, what, are the, what do you say the like, top, top three things, usually, usually speak in, within three points, so this is mm -hmm. right up your alley. They don't all rhyme or start with the same letter, but three things to keep in mind as an eldership or staff, um, or as a congregation, as we minister from this space, I know that you probably said some of that already. Mm -hmm. But as you reframe that, like help us, what 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 questions should we be asking ourselves right now as we mm. step in this space? Going, we want to be here for the long haul. We want to do good, um, in the name of Jesus in our space. Mm. Well, I'm gonna throw throw you off and share four things. Okay. Um, <laughs> I don't know, but so a few things that come to mind, and some of it might sound repetitive. Uh, but Dave, I would say, I would, I would start off with you and the eldership. Um, it can't be, and I know this isn't the case, I'm just giving this wild example, extreme example. But if like Lindsay was the only one championing this, mm -hmm. this is not gonna go anywhere. Mm -hmm. It's yeah. gonna be one angry person and that's it, you know, <laughs> with a baby on her side. I mean, it is- Lin Lindsay doesn't get angry. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Wait for it. Yeah. That's a different podcast yeah, too. I know, I know. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it, it can't be something that's basically championed by one or two people. Totally. Uh, it really has to be, uh, the eldership saying, this is part of our conviction of the whole gospel, our imagination of the kingdom of God. So, good. so that, that's the first thing that I would say. And if it is, then it becomes that much more natural in the teaching mm -hmm. because we know that teaching is part of spiritual formation. Yeah. And so it's part of that rule of life that you guys speak often about, which I think is beautiful. Yeah. It, it, it tells people, hey, uh, San Francisco is an incredibly diverse city, of, diverse city of so many people with different ideas and philosophies and thoughts. Here's the, the rule of life that we want to be about, that we want to mm -hmm. be uh, uh, basically rowing in the same direction. The second thing, which I said earlier, is so important, it needs to be repeated, is, is the art of listening. Mm -hmm. um, if you're anything like me, I struggle with wanting to achieve. You know, coming from this like hardcore immigrant mentality, mindset, mindset, let's go through walls, A through B, how do I get there? And sometimes I'll want to accelerate 
that listening process. Here's a word, it's a marathon. Mm -hmm. We want Reality San Francisco in this location not to have a 100-yard sprint or a 400-yard sprint, but we want it to be a marathon. And the truth is it's probably going to be a triathlon. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's going to be a long thing. So yes, should there be a sense of urgency? Yes and no. Mm. Not to the point that it compromises the dignity of listening well. And here's the thing. You cannot love your neighbors if you don't know your neighbors. Yeah. It's everything outside of that is theological gymnastics. Mm. So part of our world and part of our nation right now is we're having conversations of really sensitive, emotional topics like racism. So people are having these conversations and yet they do not know people of which they speak about. What's gonna happen? We're basically using what we hear on airwaves as our formative information. So you cannot love your neighbors if you don't know your neighbors. I would say if reality San Francisco, even if it's just, hey, the goal is not merely to get people inside the service. There was a season of my life where I thought that, Hmm. that the end goal was butts on the seats in the pews. (laughs) I mean, that's a pretty twisted theology because it's basically then really living into the target group. Mm -hmm. So, you know, my sense of this might be your church building, but praise God, your parish is much larger. That's right. And I know this is what you've been teaching on for so long. And that's the reason why I'm so encouraged. Like I know from a theological leadership perspective, this building, yes, it changes some things, but it's not gonna change the essence of reality, San Francisco. Mm-hmm. It'll simply be a tool and not the end goal of like getting yeah. everybody here. And so I would just say, yeah, it's about how do we build relationships with the community? That's the, and then the other piece then is think about what are the practicalities, right? We talked about pastoral prophetic, and what makes it practical? Mm-hmm. And that's not going to come about until you've built relationships with people. The first part really is about the personal part. Like, is it, is it, has, it been pers- has it become personal for you and personal for the congregation? Because if it's not, then it's, it's like a version of a 90-minute service. Mm-hmm. And then if we really care about this, then it begins to f- be formed in our prayer. Mm-hmm. And we regularly elevate and talk about these things. One last thing that I'll just share, and I'm, I'm, I've lost count where I'm at. Four. But this is four. You're <laughs> right. This is four. So the, the last thing that I'll just say is, it's, I, I'll just say it even if it's an awkward turn. Resources matter. Mm-hmm. It, it just does. So sermons are good. Prayer is good. I would encourage the church, the leadership, Lindsay, to think about having a, a strategy and imagination of resources. Mm -hmm. How do we get resources from our church, many that live in the context of have, um, and and being able to share with those who may not be as materially um, fortunate in those ways. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that we did at at, at Quest is uh, we set aside a compassion and justice fund. Uh, And it was a fund that grew every single Sunday because we took a small percentage and we funded a church planting fund, a community development fund, a global presence fund. And out of those funds, we initiated things, A, from our church, but also 
to bless people within our congregation that were doing certain things where we said, we want to be strategically be willing to give a $5,000 grant to what you're doing, whether it's part of an organization. So, so we basically had resources, not of hundreds of thousands, hundreds of thousands, because after a while, it just grows and grows. And the eldership prayerfully prayed about how do we utilize these resources? Again, both for church programs, but even at times, because we didn't want the church to be bottlenecked by simply our church programs. Does that make sense? So yeah. that's just an idea. That's, that's what we chose to do. But those are some of the ways in which I would encourage reality to, to think. Thank you so much. Yeah, I, I just wanted to add one thing to around the being here in the place and the proximity and listening um, is exactly what, just to kind of jump off that getting to know our neighbors. Mm. Um, just to, I, I think we sometimes can be about an idea without being about particular people. But trying to find those spaces where we are actually hearing the people who are being affected. And I think that goes back to the the policy question too, because if we it's very easy to stereotype or to, to take these big picture perspectives um, that all poor people are lazy if we don't know anyone who's poor. Mm. And it's much more difficult to do that once you're in the middle of it, mm. you know? So I my background is as an immigration lawyer and I have met with a lot of, of new arrivals, immigrants over the years mm. um, in detention, not in New York, here, Boston, other places. And the things that you learn and hear in those stories change you. Mm-hmm. And they change your perspective mm-hmm. on on the broader policy conversation. And I think, so that's just another kind of piece of that, I think, is how do we also get into proximity with people who mm-hmm. are different from us? Mm-hmm. How do we actually hear that's right. those stories? And not just when you talk about amplifying voices, we have to be connected to those voices. We can't make that up. Yeah. So I think that's something I just want to encourage our church with. Mm, it's beautiful. And then yeah, one sorry, other yeah. last kind of question is having come from an advocacy background, as you're saying, it's a marathon. It's exhausting, right? And these issues are big mm. issues. Um, whether we're talking about hunger, violence against women, you know, all of these issues are extremely deeply embedded. Racism, like this isn't stuff that, came about last night and it's not going away tomorrow. So how, what's your encouragement? What are your words of encouragement for people in our church who are really committed to justice as a way of of following Jesus faithfully and aren't seeing it happen Mm. and are discouraged? Mm. Well, Lindsay, uh, what you just shared is beautiful. And I'm really grateful for your leadership here and encouraged, you know, Uh, seriously, you were just even ministering to me. So thank you for that. A uh, couple things that you said that I want to just amplify again, the word proximity matters so much. And that's one of the gifts is that God has given you the gift of proximity by being in this neighborhood. And so you've got to learn to be a good neighbor. Yeah. And um, I also love that one of the rule of life here at your church is hospitality. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the best ways to be a good neighbor is to be hospitable. And we live in a time when the art and the gift of hospitality is becoming so much more challenging in many ways. So even just doing those two things are going to open lots of different doors and opportunities. When you were talking about some of the stories about not knowing stories, I was instantaneously reminded of 
the Nigerian brilliant novelist Chimamande Adichie Ngozi in her TED talk, The Danger of a Single Story. Mm-hmm. I, I'm afraid that sometimes many of us have that single story. And the only way that you can help reshape story or that one story is a more full holistic story. And that's not possible without relationships. But as to your question about the, the, the tiredness, the longing, you know, I, I don't really have a brilliant answer. I would just say yes. Mm-hmm. I think just even acknowledging it, like just acknowledging to people that are part of this church and leaders who feel tired and exhausted, I think just saying yes, we see you and we honor you and we want to bless you and we want to somehow be the wind behind each other as we do this work. I think that in itself is just so encouraging when you realize that you're seen. Mm -hmm. Because I know folks that are reaching out to me where they feel like at their church, not only do they feel like no one's listening to them, but they're basically being ridiculed as, oh, those justice people. So I think just seeing them, but I think also realizing that where are the places that we can affirm what the church is doing? Because uh, maybe we can also acknowledge that we're living in a cultural context where it seems like a lot of people are angry about lots of different things. And it's not the remedy, but I think we can also begin with gratitude and affirmation. So I'm grateful that the church, we've done what we can. We've excelled in areas of mercy and compassion. I, I think Christians typically and generally, they've done a good job around compassion ministries and now we've got to go a little deeper and ask about the root causes. As you said, Lindsay, brilliantly, like it didn't happen last week. I mean, it wasn't that long ago when lynching mm-hmm. happened on our soil. And there are basically memorials of 5,000 plus lynchings around this country. Uh, there are places in California where issues of internment camps still take place. And the list goes on. So I think... It's the courage of being with others, having the boldness and courage to discuss not just the mercy and compassion issues, but then to discuss what are some of the root causes. So I'll just give an example, and I'm sure we'll get close soon, but you know, when you're speaking about hunger, the easy part is giving calories to people who are hungry. Does that matter? Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> it absolutely matters. But as you're having those discussions, people get real, they start flipping out because they think we're getting all political, but we have to start talking about gender inequity, especially from an international perspective. We've gotta be talking about economic injustice. We've gotta talk about the reality of climate injustice and how it disproportionately impacts quote unquote poorer communities, both in the US and around the world. And yes, those get to be really complex and you're called lots of different things. And so we're trying to avoid that partisanship, but without compromising. Man, if you want to make a deep impact on some of the, we've got to go there. Yeah. We've got, and, and to do it in a way that hopefully, because it's so easy just to dismiss people and you're horrible, you're the devil, but just to try to explain why those root causes matter and ultimately, it matters for human flourishing and God's pursuit of justice in this world. Mm. Eugene, thank you so much. I, what 
you know, just as we end here, I think your hope and use this language this morning. Um, by the way, we didn't bring you in to teach on justice. We brought you in to teach on demons. So good job. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Part two next Part month. Two. Yeah. Um, but you mentioned this this morning and again at this podcast where you talked about getting this into our Christian imagination. I think that's what this podcast has been for me and what we hope it's been for uh, our, our, our church listeners is that we start to imagine justice and the possibilities of it and the way it works. And I think what it does is allows us to see, you know, following Jesus doesn't end when I read James chapter two this morning. It actually gets into every part of my life and I have to reimagine everything. And with an imagination, I can actually get involved in these, maybe for some people listening, this is what they want. This is what they needed to hear. They needed to hear the way I do um, nonpartisan politics because that matters to me. I could do it in the way of Jesus. And the way I do justice, I could do it in the way of Jesus. And the way I do hospitality, mm. like all those things hit on all parts of us. Mm. And all of it is a part of our discipleship to Jesus. Mm. And you've given us a great way to imagine that, uh, not only in our new space here in this building, but um, as followers of Jesus, as disciples mm. of Jesus in mm. his way. So thank you so much. Yeah. Well, I want to just share one more thing, because I think I shared this last time I was here, but, you know, as a, uh, an 18-year-old Christian came to faith, um, it was at that moment when I think my love for San Francisco began to grow in different ways. Now, prior to that, it was home. Um, I saw it in just very kind of a very human perspective, but it was when I became a Christian, when I became a pastor, my love and just thirst to see God's kingdom here in San Francisco really began to grow in a different way, even from afar in Seattle. And so I wasn't joking two years ago when I said, man, I have been praying. I didn't know about Reality San Francisco. I don't know all the churches, but there are times I'll just randomly pray for churches in San Francisco because the city means so much to me. And so to see Reality San Francisco thrive, clearly not perfect, but thrive, rooted in the gospel, the whole gospel, and then to see, yes, from social media, from afar, you move into this neighborhood, I'm like, this is amazing. And so may God be honored and glorified. May the Holy Spirit give you, Dave, Lindsay, you, your leadership, your congregation, um, yes, imagination, joy, love in this work, uh, and may we be in it together for the marathon. Amen. Thank you so much, Eugene. Yeah, thank you. Thank you.